Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. It's an aptly named podcast, right, Boston? The most accurate name that has ever been given to a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my sidekick. Uh, you know him as uh, Austin Ward. I call him Boston but uh, for all kinds of reasons, uh, one of which is the pecking order at LettermanRow.com. Always tune in to LettermanRow.com for the latest on Ohio State football news, not the least of which came uh, this past weekend when uh, we found out Jordan Hancock had flipped his commitment from Clemson to Ohio State, highly touted cornerback, a fellow who was in the targets, the sites of Ohio State football for a long time. We're going to get to that in the second half of my show. But uh, that was a big moment, wasn't it, uh, Boston? Yeah, and it was a great way to start off uh, defensive backs week. So real synergy uh, yeah. with recruiting and, and Jordan Hancock uh, inadvertently setting all that up to to get us rolling, talking about Kerry Combs. And uh, I think the, the BIA moniker, DBU, all that applies to the Buckeyes. They've really got it rolling there. So we'll have uh, a lot to talk about with uh, Kerry Combs, uh, those, those Buckeyes in the back end, and Jordan Hancock uh, later in this show and then throughout the week. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's big news in the standpoint of like the Ohio State recruiting effort is alive and well and definitely kicking and kicking some ACC butt as it turns out, you know. But uh, but I digress. You know, uh, Boston, the interesting thing about what's going on with the COVID-19 situation in terms of how it's affecting the college football and the, the possibility of there not being a college football season, which I think is as real as a possibility of there being one, which is probably redundant when you say possibility there all through that. But uh, – it affects a lot more than the football team, the football players, the football coaches. And uh, my, my guest today is a doc, Dr. Christopher Hoke, who's the director of bands, the band director for uh, Tabittle, you know, the best damn band in the land. And uh, imagine those guys, those guys and gals are sitting on pins and needles right now, especially the sousaphone guys <laughs> who were primed to uh, dot the I's at the Ohio State home games this year. You know, how many I's will get to be dotted? Uh, well, as it turns out, there's got a lot of T's that have to be crossed before then in terms of the uh, COVID-19 situation and whether or not we'll actually have any games. But, you know, this does affect more than uh, the football players and coaches, right? Can a, can an I daughter take a redshirt year so they can wait till 2021? You know, I kind of bring that up in the interview with him. We recorded the interview a couple of days ago, but uh, uh, that wasn't really clear. But then you get kind of a – the last thing you want is a log jam when you're doing Christopher, you know, Christopher, Script Ohio, yeah. Christopher Ohio. When you're doing Script Ohio, the last thing you want is a log jam there with like five guys trying to dot the same eye, you know. Then again, think about it. That's food for thought, right? So, so next next year, 2021, we're going to be looking forward to quad Script Ohio every single game because there's so much depth at this position. Yes, I, I think it's a possibility. And you know what, uh, well, I did bring up with him, uh, you know, and I brought up on our on this podcast uh, several months ago, uh, he has an interesting answer when I said, is there a possibility with social distancing we could see the largest single script Ohio in history? You know, just pay attention to what he says there. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed my interview with uh, Dr. Christopher Hoke. Uh, I called him Dr. Hoke throughout because, you know, anybody's earned a doctorate, no matter what it is, uh, uh, I think deserves full treatment, pardon the pun. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, without further ado, let's get to that interview, and then we'll be back in a moment uh, soon after that, ladies and gentlemen, where uh, Boston Ward and I will chop up the Ohio State recruiting effort and what we see coming down the road in this COVID-19 situation. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I've got Dr. Christopher Hope, the director of bands, the band director at The Ohio State University. And, uh, you know, Dr. Dr. Hoke, I mean, people are all – up in arms right now or uh, all of Twitter, so to speak, about what's going to happen to the college football season. Uh, but, you know, the the best damn band in the land, I mean, where y'all really cut your cut yourself apart from everybody else is all those halftime shows in the fall. And I'm just wonder, wondering how anxious, for example, are you right now about whether there's going to be a football season? Well, like everybody else, we are incredibly anxious. We're um urgently awaiting to see what's what's going to happen but uh in the meantime we of course are, are are planning more of those wonderful halftime shows to uh to present to our fans and and uh you know anybody who might be there for a for a football game and quite honestly if it needs to be we're prepared to present those to virtual audiences as well wait what are you talking about now give, give me an example of what you're talking about there this virtual well, reality I mean, 
Yeah, absolutely. So we're, you know, typically we, we present those halftime shows to, to, you know, to the football fans at the football stadium, but those also go up on YouTube and we have people who watch them, um, you know, who don't even go to the football games. So, um, you know, any, anybody who's, who's able to see us, uh, hopefully we, we, prepare a nice show for them as well so um you know if, if a person isn't isn't necessarily at the football game we uh we anticipate being able to have a uh, a halftime show of some kind um that that uh people can see just from the comfort of their own home i'm envisioning this i said this many months ago we could see the largest due to social distancing we could see the largest script ohio in history at one of these games what you know i'm talking about from corner to corner uh have you thought along those lines? It is that possibility of uh, of uh, of a full football field full, full of script Ohio. Of course, it's a possibility. And when when we're talking about uh, six feet of distancing between people on the field, what that what that means for us is about twice the normal size of space uh, be between people in in our script Ohio. Um, so if you can envision that two times the size of a normal script Ohio, if we have the same number of people and and you know the same basic formation, um, it'll be twice as large on the field. So. Um, you're absolutely right. It would uh, stretch probably from end zone to end zone and from sideline to sideline. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. That obviously would take quite a lot longer to unfold than, uh, than, the, nor than the normal script Ohio. So it depends on how much time we have, too. It could be the whole halftime show, but, man, it would be worth it. Would, why not do it just for the hell of it, Doc? <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> hey, uh, seriously, right now, what, what, how are you – you know, everybody's talking about the, the football team – you know, being able to work out or not work out the way the Ace Athletic Center, all this kind of stuff. What, what are you telling your band members right now as far as how to stay, quote, unquote, in shape, you know, uh, if in fact there is a season uh, to perform in? Yeah, we've been working with our student leaders since uh, since actually April and May. We selected we always select our squad leaders in, in March and uh, early April. Um, and so we've been working with them. We've had some leadership retreats and so forth to, to get them up to speed on, on kind of what it is we're, we're asking them to do this summer. And they've done a, a wonderful job um, working with the staff to, to put together virtual summer sessions. So there's, there's a lot of video learning going on. Um, we've got uh, potential candidates broken into, into Google Classrooms. Um, and they're interacting with our squad leaders and interacting with our staff that way. Uh, we've recently started... Um, weekly webinars um, on, on Thursday nights that we're going to be doing for the foreseeable future to do some live musical training um, and, and some other things. So we're doing the best we can to work, uh, work through um, online means to get, to get everybody ready for the season. It's not ideal, of course, like, you know, it, it isn't for the football team either, but uh, yeah. we're, we're making the best of the situation, I think. And I think all the credit goes to our, our student leaders for, for putting together a great program this summer. You know, uh, 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 coaches make, you know, head coaches usually make the final call on who starts and who doesn't, who's on the team and who isn't. Do you make the final call, I mean, on who is and isn't in the marching band? I mean, how, how does that work in your realm? It's very much the same. Now, um, we have input from a lot of people on, on, the, uh, on the, the people that are going to be in the band. In fact, everybody tries out every year. Uh, there's no guarantee that if you were in the band the year before that you're going to be in this coming year. Um, that's, that's been something that we've believed strongly in to keep the band competitive and keep things um, top notch year after year. But ultimately, um, after all the input is given from every, every staff member um, and, and even from our squad leaders a little bit, um, ultimately the decision is, is mine on, on, who, on who makes the band. And, um, you know, we, we try to keep every single student that wants to be in the band in, in the band program at some point, but uh, the marching band tends to be a little bit more exclusive. Yeah. You know, uh, as the old saying goes, football team plays uh, 11 guys at a time. 85 guys on scholarship, maybe 105 on the, you know, invited to camp thing. What, what are your limits as far as numbers go, as far as band members? Well, in a normal year, we would take 228 people um, plus two drum majors. Um, plus, we would have a, a student staff of, of about 12 and um, a drum major training squad of about uh, five to seven people. Wow. Um, don't know what's going to happen this year. Um, we, we may, just because of the number of uh, people allowed to gather together and so forth, we may have some limits on what we're able to do. Um, but I, I don't know that for sure yet. 
um, right now we're, we're still planning on taking 228 students as we, as we normally do. Um, of those 228, um, 192 will march our pregame show and 195 will march halftime. Wow. Uh, how would you like to be a sousaphone player right now? This is going to be your senior year or that year when you get to go out and dot the I, and there may not be enough scripts <laughs> to suffice. Uh, I mean, give, give me a sense of what do you think those guys are on pins and needles, so the guys and gals. Yeah, I, I know they are, and I know they're worried about that, and, and that's something, obviously, that the staff is, is concerned about. My heart really goes out to, to those students, the sousaphone players, and our drum majors as well. You know, they're yeah. – they're, uh, Big thing, of course, is is leading the band down the field on the ramp entrance during during pregame, and you know who knows if that's going to be able to happen. And um, so, you know, those guys work hard. The sousaphone players work hard for for four years to get to this point um, where they're eligible to dot the I. Um, so, I, I was telling our squad leaders last night, we're going to do the very best we can for them um, to make sure you know this year, you know, if at all possible, there's there's the right number of scripts and the right number of opportunities. But um, if not, um, you know, any, anybody that's able to stick around for another year, uh, we'll make sure they get their opportunity in 2021. Yeah, wow. Uh, you know, I've always said, you know, I always said, anybody will say this, what separates college football from the NFL, along with a lot of other things, <laughs> are the bands, you know, and, uh, and you know, kind of gives me uh, goosebumps, I mean, thinking about, you know, what, some of the great bands I've seen in the past. I mean, I grew up an Alabama fan, the Million Dollar Band, you know, and, uh, they got the nickname because you know the football team stunk at one point, but the band looked like a million dollars out there, you know. And uh, '96 guys and a gal, I think, was the SMU band at one point. You know, all these bands that have run around out there and stuff. And you do feel as much a part of the football season almost as a football team does, don't you, Doctor Hope? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we we hear that comment from fans all the time, and I, you know, I like to think that uh, we provide something that uh, that fans can't get anyplace else you know they they come to a college yeah. football game for the for the total experience and the band is is certainly a part of that and we've we've been a part of the Ohio State University tradition for you know over a century so you know we we uh really enjoy being a part of that the uh, part of that tradition we hope hope that continues this season I was gonna say skull session you know the, the march to the stadium ramp all that stuff after the game, you know, y'all did the Carmen Ohio with the team now, which has became a tradition once Jim Trussell started it way back in 2001. I mean, just all these things, y'all are there, uh, as I like to say, from can until can't, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> y'all are much more, much more involved with the, with the Saturday football Saturdays really than the football team is when you think about it, you know, when people have that good feeling about themselves. Hey, real quick, by the way, let's give people a little bit of background about you. Uh, where are you from originally? Well, I'm from right here in central Ohio. I'm, I'm originally from Westerville, um, so grew up there and have spent uh, pretty much my whole life right here in central Ohio. So I was, I was born a Buckeye, and, and by golly, I'll die a Buckeye. Westerville North, South, the sales, where'd you go to school? Westerville North. Westerville North. Uh, and uh, and you, you growing up, what instruments did you play? Well, in, in high school band, I was a trombone player, um, primarily, so I, I spent pretty much my entire uh, band career um, developing my skills at that instrument. But of course, when you're going to be a band director, you have to learn a lot of other things too. So yeah. um, I can handle myself on, uh, on, on pretty much uh, any brass instrument, I suppose. Yeah. I was, I was going to say my, my uh, brother, Mike, bless his heart, uh, passed away, but uh, he was an all state trombone player in, in the state of Texas. I mean, he was, I mean, trombones, man. Uh, by the way, why aren't there trombones in the Ohio state marching band? There are trombones in the Ohio oh, State Marching Band. Yeah, we no, I was just joking. I thought you guys all play. I thought you put them all on a. I thought you put them all on a baritone at that point, so you wouldn't run into each other. Oh no 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 no. There's there's uh, 28 trombones that we take every year. I know. I'm um, just messing with you. Here's okay. the thing. What is the hardest thing for them to learn during those crossing maneuvers and stuff? Uh, do you ever just hold your breath? They're not going to hit each other. Well, there's a little bit of that. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, they, they work hard. In, in terms of the script, Ohio, I think, is probably what you mean, where they're doing those crossovers. Yeah. Um, it, it actually takes some, some coordination to make sure that happens. There's, there's a timing for when they have to snap the instrument down, um, get one foot through the crossover, and then and be through. There's a total of, of two beats worth of music that they have uh, to make that happen. So, uh, you know, I, I, I was in the band myself um, from 1995 to 1999. So I, I know personally how that, uh, how that goes and what that feels like. And there's that, 
I think that little moment of panic right before you see your crossover coming up when you realize, okay, I got to get through, I got to step through. Okay. And now, now go on. So um, yeah, it, it, it is, it's a little bit of a challenge for them. No, I was just, I was just talking about there might not being any trombones. I mean, you know, uh, 76 trombones led to big parades the way I look at it. Uh, <laughs> you know, my mom growing up uh, in the, Alabama and Texas, my mom was big on us all learning how to play an instrument one way or the other. I played, I, I plinked on the piano. I was horrible, but I played trumpet. And uh, the great thing about, I always tell people about having a music background is, you know, music is the same any country you go to. It's like an international language, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and having that kind of background, you agree with that too, don't you, Dr. Hoke? I mean, it, uh, it just gives you a wealth of, a, of background, you know, from the classics to uh, right on up. Yeah, I, I do. I absolutely believe that. And, you know, there's so many different great kinds of music and we try to, we try to um, vary what we do on the field so that every halftime show is a little bit different, whether it's a rock show or a jazz show or a classical show or what, whatever it is, it is, we want to make sure that uh, we are catering to people with all different kinds of tastes. So it's, uh, so it is universal in some, some respect. Uh, give people an idea. Where do the ideas come from for these ridiculous halftime shows? And by re- ridiculous, I mean in a good way. You know, sometimes bad is good, as a uh, old saying goes. But where, where do you do you have these uh, dreams at night? I mean, do you get it? You know, how, where, where where do the ideas come from? Well, it it come, like any great um, work of art, I suppose it comes from hard work. Um, and and quite honestly, we start uh, planning our shows usually in January or early February. Um, and, and that starts with a meeting with our staff and with our students. Um, so students come up with a number of, of ideas. Um, they, they generate usually at that meeting somewhere between 25 and 50 um, show ideas. And, and the staff meets uh, pretty much weekly from that point until late March, early April um, to, come up with, uh, to come up with a slate of seven ideas that are going to be used uh, for, for the upcoming season. And then once we have our, our seven ideas set, um, we, we call up our arrangers, our music arrangers, and they start, start writing the music. And um, usually by this time, um, we actually start writing the, uh, the routines, the drill routines, and start planning for the visual elements, the, the props and everything else that we're going to use. Do you, do you guys practice, do y'all, do y'all fine tune it or, or the beginning of it in squads, meaning uh, you're going to be moving here, during this part of the music and I mean how do you how do you begin it and how do you get it how do you put it all together from the standpoint of the beginnings of having a man a a person an animated person going down the field or wheels turning on a on a choo-choo train or something like that I mean how do you get how do you first start that uh that process well, you know, when I, when I sit down to write the drill, that's, uh, you know, that's part of the process. Really, every animation that you see is, a, it, it's like a, a real animation. It's a series of individual pages, charts, um, where, you know, a, a student will be in position A, then they'll be asked to go to position B to position C, and then we put that all together so that when they actually do the movement, um, it looks like that figure is moving, whether it's the train or the, or the, or the you know, person that's moving moving down the field um, in drill. Um, usually any any given show has somewhere around, um, I want to say about 50 of those individual charts and um, probably another dozen or so subsets, um, some, you know, some sets in between those charts that, uh, that students have to pass through to make to make the drill work. Um, and each of those charts is is written um, Usually, usually by myself, but also we have um, a couple graduate assistants that, that will help out with that. Or, or, or uh, um, I have a friend in the community who does a great job with that. Um, you know, so we, we do get help from from time to time to uh, to make that to make that work. But is that is that right now? How much would would y'all be practicing right now? Stuff like that, meaning of guy, you know, of people, uh, guys and gals working together on their little of their little subset you know i mean how much are you missing from the summer uh drills etc of putting it all together well really the summer is exclusively for physical training and for um fundamental training um, so we're not actually this this time of year. We wouldn't normally be learning halftime shows. We don't do that until we select the band in August. Um, so once the band is selected, then we'll start in on the first halftime show. And typically, a halftime show will take anywhere from one to three weeks. 
uh, to learn just depending on what the football schedule looks like. So we wouldn't be doing any of that right now, but where what we really are missing is, um, you know, the, the, the volume of work that we normally put in in summer workouts, um, teaching those fundamentals and having our students learn our school songs and, and uh, you know, learn how to do a crossover in Script Ohio, learn how to do the ramp entrance, learn how to do all those fundamentals that, that really make the, the band go. Yeah. Um, you know, Dr. Hoko, it, it's, it's pretty funny, though, because when people go to an Ohio State football game, they want to see ramp, you know, they want to see, they don't, they want to see Script Ohio, uh, you know what I mean? Because some people there, that's the only time they, they have been to a game and will ever go to a game. How do you balance all of like uh, the fundamentals, so to speak, to, a, to, to what makes, uh, sets uh, the best damn band in the land apart with new stuff, if you follow my drift? Oh, absolutely. I, I love to speak on this, and I, and, I, and I talk about this all the time with, with various groups around the community, around the state. Um, we believe really strongly in, a, um, in, in having both a sense of tradition and a sense of innovation. Um, you know, the, the Ohio State Band traces its roots back 143 years um, to, uh, you know, to, a, to a fife and drum corps. And so there's, there's tradition that's been built up over 143 years um, with, with this band organization, which is really cool when you, when you think about it. Um, and so those traditions are important. You know, the first script Ohio took place in 1936, the first ramp entrance in 1928. Hang on, Sloopy's been going on since 1965. So those things we, we absolutely honor and we, you know, we make sure that we do those things the, the, the very best that we can do them um, to honor the generations that have come before us. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you can't you, you can't be stuck completely in the past. Um, you've got to do things that are new and, and up to date and, and, and keep modern audiences engaged in, in, in what's happening. So we believe strongly also in, in innovation. And I, I think a lot of times you'll see that um, coming through in, in our halftime shows. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's part of what gets us excited about, uh, about the upcoming season is being able to do things that are creative and, and, and different. Sure. Um, so if we believed in tradition above all things, we would still be, uh, you know, a small fife and drum corps that we were 143 years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, fortunately things, things change and adapt over the years. So um, it's, it's exciting to be a part of. You were in the band. You are, you're been the director of the band. What is that? What is, give me just one part. If you, if you could only get to do one thing that y'all do every, every week during the football season or during the game, what would be that one what what's the one part that you can't you can do without i mean obviously ramp you have to get on the field you know at the beginning <laughs> but what is that one thing that just right now puts a hair up on the back of your neck of, that you really enjoy every week no matter what i think the uh um the, the thing that's my favorite uh, personally is the halftime show i that's that's the the part that that i creative creatively invest in um, week after week, um, then that's my favorite part. But I think for, for the average fan, you know, we couldn't get away with, without doing Script Ohio. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, that's something that I, a tradition certainly that I respect, having been a part of it, having, having grown up with it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll never remember, or I'll never forget, excuse me, the, uh, the first football game that my, uh, my dad took me to uh, as a kid. Earl Bruce was coach. Uh, we, we played Wisconsin. We lost. But, uh, I, you know, I do remember, you know, sitting in the stands and seeing the band come down the field and, and being amazed at the straight lines and, you know, row upon row of, of the same brass instrument coming right at me. Um, and I remember seeing Script Ohio for the first time and just being absolutely blown away. So those those traditions are, are important, too. But, you know, I, I think it's it's a thrill when the uh, when the when the audience uh, sees that halftime show and you, you get you get that ovation at the end and, you know, you've all the creative work has been worth it. Um, but obviously, we, we know the, the importance of the traditions as well. Hey, do you scout? Do you go back and uh, like uh, Urban Meyer sits there and, and watches uh, all the, I mean, Urban Meyer back then and Ryan Day now, but all the coaches, they'll take the video after the game's over and just scrutinize the hell out of it. Do you, do you guys do the same thing? Do you go, hey, Jimmy, you know, you were half a <laughs> feet off right here. Uh, you know what I mean? How, how do you guys, I, I know you do that, don't you? You're all perfectionists. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we make the video available of our rehearsals after every rehearsal. So, so students can, can go and, and uh, check that out uh, on their own. And then we watch video together as a group 
uh, on Fridays and Saturdays uh, during the fall. So as we prepare for uh, prepare for the season, um, we'll we'll watch it before our dress rehearsal on Friday, and then we'll watch it before the performance on Saturday. Um, you know, our students get together. We we report six hours before uh, the the game time starts. So that's a six a.m. report time for a noon noon game, and part of that uh, part of that time we use to to watch video and analyze. Uh, what's going on on the field. So absolutely, we just, just like a football team, basketball team, whatever it happens to be, we're, we're in, the, in there watching video and, and, and trying to, to perfect things as best we can. How competitive is it to be in the Ohio State marching band? How many people do you turn away each year who want to be part of one of the great traditions and basically in sport, but in college football in particular? Yeah, last year I believe um, we we were up around 400 for our tryouts. Um, wow. So we we took 228 out of out of those folks. Um, that was a, an abnormally high number, um, I think. Uh, so typically we see around 350 um, that that make it through summer sessions and that uh, you know that 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 show up to tryouts. Um, to be a part of the band. And, and uh, like I said, we take 228 of those. So there's always around 100, 150 folks that, that don't make the band. And we encourage them to be a part of our athletic band program. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll play in our athletic bands, which play for volleyball and hockey and basketball and, and, and the other sports. Yeah. Um, and and, and you know, one of two things happens. They fall in love with that activity and they spend their college career doing, doing that and being a part of the basketball um, and hockey programs and, and uh, you know, some great programs to be a part of. Uh, or, or they'll um, come back um, another time and give it, give it a go for the marching band. And a lot of those folks, I've, I've seen folks who have tried out three or four times and not made it. And then their, their fifth time trying out, they do make it. Um, uh, and, and that's really a, quite a, a cool success story, I think. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, but you have a quota system too, right? I mean, you don't if, – if, if there are 80 trumpets, how many trumpets march in your band? Uh, we take 84 every year. 84 trumpets. And is, is that all – I mean, uh, uh, do y'all have different – y'all have uh, – I'm trying to remember what you have. What, what, what are the – is it just pure trumpets or do you have like uh, piccolo? Do you have uh, trumpets? Yeah. Do you have uh, – yeah, we have uh, of those eighty-four trumpets. Um, some, we, most of them are what we call regular B-flat trumpets, just plain yeah. old ordinary trumpets. Then we also take um, take uh, fourteen E-flat cornets, um, which are like small small trumpets. They they yeah. kind of sound the highest in the band. And the, then there's a group of uh, flugelhorns, which are uh, a little bit lower pitched, a little bit more mellow sounding. But those three instruments make up our trumpet section. Make up your eighty-four. Uh, yeah. But you. If they're, I mean, in other words, if there are like a hundred uh, worthy trumpet guys, eighty-four still only make the band, right? I mean, you're, you follow my drift. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, you're 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 limited on per instrument how many people you you add, right? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Who shows up? What is the biggest number? I mean, who usually has the largest number of people trying to join the band? What what instrument? Well, trumpets typically because um, we take more of them than than anything else. So usually our, our trumpet section is the is is the biggest, but we also take more of them. Yeah. Um, so you know, people people ask me all the time. So if if I want to have the best chance to make the band, what instrument should I try? Right. Exactly. And, and I say, well, you know, it, it depends year to year. You know, a couple of years ago, our our trombone numbers were were um, down a little bit. So your best bet was on trombone, and then last year the trombone numbers were way back up again. So um, you, it's never easy to tell year to year what's going to be the most competitive instrument. But uh, um, you know, I like to think that every instrument that we that we have in the band is is competitive. Um, but you know, it, it, uh, what we tell our students, uh, if you want to try out for the band, uh, and, you know, we hope we have a lot of folks try out for the band, is that, uh, you know, you, you, you do the very best you can on, on your instrument. Um, so if you're a trombone player, be the very best trombone player that you can be. Um, if you're a snare drummer, be the very best snare drummer that you can be. And, and uh, you know, it, it takes hard work. And, and if you dedicate yourself to it, you know, eventually good things are going to happen. Hey, Dr. Hope, last couple things. Maybe the last sure. thing. What is the coolest thing? You've been part of the band, you know, as a player and also as a coach, pardon the expression. What is the coolest <laughs> no, okay. thing you, you guys have gotten to either attend, go to, be a part of? I mean, obviously the Rose Bowl. I'm, let's take it out of the realm of football. What is the coolest event y'all been a part of in, during your time with that band one way or the other? 
so not a football game. Yeah, well, give um, me a football game first. What's that one football game you'll never forget? Well, I think from, from my time in the band, um, I think the, the Rose Bowl in 1997 uh, is something I'll never forget. Obviously, the game itself was, a, was an incredible game with the, uh, the last-minute drive uh, by Joe Germain and the touchdown pass to David Boston at the, at the end of there the game. There you go. That's, he pays attention, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's something I will never forget as a student. I don't know that I've ever cheered so hard in my life, but um, you, you know, you have those moments. Uh, you know, as since I've since I've been a, a director, you know, you know, going up to that that uh, that stadium up north and and uh, and winning those games up there. There's no thrill quite like it. Uh, having having been a part as as a director, having been a part of the national championship in in 2014. Um, that was obviously something incredibly special. So those, those moments will obviously, they'll be with me for the rest of my life. But, but I think, you know, that, that Rose Bowl in 97 being the first big experience um, that I had uh, as a part of the band, uh, the first huge game experience that I had as a part of the band was, was really special um, for me. I think from a non-football game perspective, um, we, we try to do a number of non-football performances every year. Um, but 2015, we had the opportunity to go overseas and perform in London, England. Yeah. Um, so doing a, a, you know, a parade in Regent Street and, and uh, performances uh, in, in London was um, truly spectacular, something that, uh, you know, we – had never had the opportunity. The band had never been overseas before and uh, um, had the opportunity to do that. I think that was cool. And that was at the invitation, I guess it's related to football is at the invitation of the NFL. Um, so part of that experience was performing an NFL game. They treated us like royalty. Um, they were absolutely wonderful to us. So um, that was quite an experience. And then two years ago, being a part of the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade and doing, doing events in New York city was also something pretty incredible for us. What are the rules of the road when you guys go on a trip like that? What are the rules of the road that you sit down that you're uh, uncompromising on as far as uh, behavior, et cetera, by band members? Well, our students are expected to follow our code of conduct and the university's code of conduct, whether they're on the road, at home, uh, anytime. So uh, the rules rules remain the same. Um, you know, we, we teach them that they are expected to be um, – you know, model citizens that they are always representing the band, whether they are, you know, on their own in class or whether they're actually on an official, uh, you know, an official trip with the band. So, you know, the expectations are high just as just as they would be for any organization. Um, you know, no college kid is, is perfect. Um, so we do have a, you know, a level of, of, of forgiveness because we know, realize that people make mistakes, but by and large, you know, the last, the last few years, our students have really done a great job of, of representing our school, our organization, and certainly our community. Is the, uh, when you go on the road to Michigan for the, for the game, uh, I don't know if you, you probably call it the team up North and they have the band up North, I guess, that y'all go against, but, uh, uh, is that, is that is, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, in, in, inconvenient. How would you call where they stick you guys over there in the corner of the field and stuff? I mean, uh, uh, is, is that about as tough a situation as you deal with? <laughs> yeah, I'll say um, both Michigan and Michigan State have, yeah. gone, to, uh, have, have gone to that. And it's, it really is a function of the, the amount of room that they have on their, on their field level. Uh, most places that we go, we we have seats either in the stands or we have, you know, chairs down on the, on the field level that we can, we can fit in. Um, we just, we deal with it. Um, it's, you know, it's not ideal to, to, to stand the whole game, but, uh, um, you know, we, we will do the best we can. And I, you know, I know that their, their bands, um, uh, I'm, I'm friends with both directors at Michigan and Michigan state. They're both quality people and, and, uh, wonderful people. Um, so, you know, they do the very best they can for us, just as we do for any of, of our visiting bands. Um, I am really proud of, of what our athletic department provides and what we're able to do for, for the bands that come see us. Uh, so, you know, we, we love having, we love sharing, sharing the field with other groups, I think is, is qu quite, a, quite a special thing. And it's something that's really cool to be a part of here in the Big Ten. I was going to say, you share the field on those games with the football players almost. I mean, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, hey, last two things. I know I said that, but that's my calling card. Uh, uh, coolest parade to be a part of the Rose Bowl parade or Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade you, you can only pick one but I'm telling you the Rose Bowl parade is pretty phenomenal I'm just throwing that out there to you it is amazing uh the how uh, oh, you're gonna make me pick yeah I, I I think okay so 
uh, with all due respect to both, um, I think I'd have to say the Rose Bowl Parade, and the reason is because of everything else that's associated with it, because it, it, it really is tied to the Big Ten and tied to Ohio State um, in a lot of different ways, and it's a tradition um, that has gone back, you know, years and years and years, decades um, of, of being a part of, of that. So, you know, I hope, and I, I, you know, my prayer for every every student that comes through this uh, this organization is that they, they get the opportunity to do that parade, yeah. um, because it is it is truly something. Now, that is taking absolutely nothing away from the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. That is that is an outstanding and a, and a first class operation in, in every way, shape or form. Um, and, you know, hopefully that's something that will become a, you know, a tradition here at Ohio state too, is, is us doing that every, you know, every, you know, five, six, seven years or so. Um, if, if we have the opportunity and if we're blessed to be able to, to make that happen, but that I'd have to, if push came to shove, I'd have to say the Rose Bowl Parade. But, dude, you know, it's really funny because you grew up, you know, like, you know, you grew up you grew up watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You know, you grew up watching the Rose Bowl Parade. And then to be in it, to be part of it, you know what I mean? Like like, like you said, you know, you, you were the director when you were in the Macy's Parade. But uh, but to be find, suddenly finding yourself part of that show has just got to be cool, right? Yeah, both of them. We, you know, we we are fortunate. Actually, we, we did the, the – uh, um, both parades in the same season. We we ended up in 2018. We did Macy's and we did the Rose Rose Bowl uh, parade wow. in the same season, which um, I believe we believe we're the only college band that's that's had the privilege to do that. Um, and we would do you know both again in, in a heartbeat. Like I said, the the, the folks at Macy's run a, a first class operation. They were about as great a team of people to work with as we've ever ever seen. Um, so we were thoroughly impressed. That Macy's parade was um, the coldest on record. It was the coldest Thanksgiving day in New York City um, that, that particular day. And, uh, you know, I remember being, we, we get there to the parade site three hours early and, and our students are huddled around just keeping each other warm in, in large masses of people. Now, you couldn't do that now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, exactly. uh, yeah, we, we absolutely did that. And, uh, you know, I remember being around, hanging around in 15 degree weather and uh, just hoping for the hoping for the very best um, and our kids did a great job and the you know the parade committee did a great job on that so that was quite an experience something we'll never forget and then the you know the rose rose parade is one of the longest parades you'll ever do so um, yeah. people are absolutely worn out by the end of that but it is wall-to-wall people and uh you know quite a quite a thing on on, on both both occasions i was gonna say those cold mornings man uh, nothing goes sharp faster than a trumpet on a cold morning i mean you know <laughs> i mean i mean i would think just tuning getting fine-tuned for the uh, macy's parade that day was a was an adventure right yep it was a challenge and not only that but valves freeze so yes. you can't you can't push push the push the valves down or the trombone slides and and so you know it's, it's constantly trying to breathe warm air into your instruments to keep everything everything unlocked <laughs> Mommy, you said this band sounded good. No, I'm just joking. Hey, <laughs> hey, Dr. Oak, last thing. Is there going to be a football season? What's your what's your take on it? And by the way, have you guys been affected at all by the COVID-19? Have, have you, knock on wood, uh, been able to stay away from it? I mean, just uh, give us a little insight there. Well, first to that point, knock on wood, we have we have managed to stay away from it uh, with, with the band that I know of. Now, I know it, it has affected family members of, of, of our band. In fact, uh, we had a former band member whose mother passed away from it. And, you know, heart, heart certainly goes out to, to that family and yes. um, and so forth. And, and, and all, all the folks uh, associated with, with our community, with our nation that are struggling with this, um, it, it really is quite a, quite an incredible thing to, 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 to be living through right now. Um, but fortunately for our immediate band family, I, I, to my knowledge, um, our, our students and our, and I know our staff have, have been, have been okay thus far. Um, and knock on wood that that's able to continue as for the football season, you know, officially your guess is as good as mine is, is right now. I, you know, I have to think that there will be football in, in some capacity, um, whether it's, you know, in, immediately in the fall or whether that gets postponed somewhat. Uh, but, you know, uh, this is this is Buckeye Nation, man. This is uh, we bleed scarlet and gray. We love our football team. We love our sports, and you know we have a great athletics program. And and certainly the band is is a part of all of that. So um, I hope and pray that uh, you know that we'll be able to uh, to take the field in in some capacity uh, this this fall. And if not this fall, then whenever whenever the uh, you know the stadium opens back up again. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Christopher Hope, the uh, the uh, director of bands at uh, at the Ohio State University, uh, marching band director, and uh, 
Dr. Hope, thank you very much for being on with me, man. And this is uh, this has been a slice because you know people, you know, they get carried away about whether you know Wyatt Davis and some of these guys are getting to do their calisthenics, but you know the band is as much a part of college football tradition as anything else, right? Absolutely, no doubt about it. Thanks for joining me, man. Thank you so much, Tim. Appreciate it. And I really appreciate Dr. Christopher Hoke, uh, the director of bands for Ohio State, uh, to Biddle, the best damn band in the land, coming on and uh, expressing his thoughts about how this is affecting uh, him, his his charges, otherwise known as the band members. And it it is it is going to be an interesting fall, isn't it, uh, Austin? If in fact uh, there is no uh, college football season. Well, and we've said it a number of times. You know, it relates to us directly and our livelihood, the people that are impacted if there's not football. But, you know, some, some like band members and, and their opportunities to dot the I, like you talked on, talked about early on, and uh, do the thing that they've trained their whole life, that could be taken away from them for this year. Uh, maybe it's their senior year or whatever, an opportunity that slides by the wayside. But, you know, everything else that, you know, the bars uh, down on high and lane, the, you know, ticket takers, the Redcoats, the – uh, I mean, there are so many businesses, so many people that are directly impacted by this multi-million dollar uh, enterprise that is college football. And, you know, I, I think we've both kind of made it clear that um, the people that are actually on the field deserve a little bit more slice of that pie. But uh, it's it's staggering to think about the number of lives that are impacted if there aren't games. And as you said, and we've talked about that some of the optimism has waned here there's a real possibility that that uh, outcome could happen. And it, I think, you know, the repercussions are going to be dramatic and, and could really wipe out uh, a lot of businesses in this, this community and a lot of communities around the country. Yeah. You know, I canceled, uh, finally got around to canceling my flight to uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, for, I'd forgotten about it, even though uh, <laughs> the big 10 and the PAC 12 have already canceled their, uh, their uh, non-conference schedules. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh so that was a game we were all looking forward to that if in fact we see it, it might be in the college football playoff semifinals or finals if in fact there is that. So uh, uh, it's just too bad what's, what's already going on in that respect. Um, just give me a short answer, okay, because uh, I'm trying to keep this tight today. What is your – I'll give you my sense after you give me your – what is your sense that we're actually going to see college football uh, in, come September? I'm less encouraged that it will happen in September. Maybe you're now you're channeling Gene Smith, but go ahead. I, well, I'm I'm trying to be. I I do think that there is still a 50-50 shot, uh, approximately, of there being football in the fall. I think that right now, at the pace that they're on, I was sort of a, a, of the mindset a week ago, and especially after talking to Gene Smith, you know, when when the announcement was made that if you had week zero, one, two, and three available, that you should probably try as early as possible and give yourself the maximum flexibility, you know, if it gets into October, November to move things around. I thought that that would have been the best way forward is to put, put those games in the first three weeks of the season that you can, see if it's possible, and then leave the door open for whatever needs to happen in October, November. It doesn't seem at this point that that's the approach they're going to take because if you were playing in week zero, you're about 10 days away from when you could start training camp. Um, and there's been no indication that Ohio State is ready uh, to do that. And so yeah. I, I think it's probably a situation where we're looking at them buying time and we're heading towards maybe a late September or October start if there is one. Yeah, just like the good old days, man, way back when, you know, uh, uh, college football was, was truly a fall sport. I mean, you know, it was like uh, Ohio State played nine games, you know, up until what uh, 1970, I think it was. But uh, or and you know, uh, you know, yeah, there were there were come some seasons when they played more in that way back when. But pretty much, you know, Ohio State went 10 and 0, 1968, including the Rose Bowl win when they won the 68 national championship. So you know, a nine game season isn't that untraditional, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you know, and and a game, you know, I remember when I first moved up here. In 1976, I think the season started the second or third week in September that year. So there's nothing wrong with going back to like playing when when it's cooler weather, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's what football was made to be played. In my opinion, football is that weird sport that goes. You can be playing 100 degree weather in late August, early September, 
and you know playing that game at Minnesota. Remember that game at Minnesota when it was, you know, the windshield was sixteen or whatever it was, and we were all freezing, and we were in the press box. So it was a lovely uh, day for a dilly bar. Exactly, good day to make dilly bars outside. <laughs> uh, but uh, but the bottom line is that you know it, it, the nine game season starting first uh, of October would be fine with me. Uh, but like you're saying, the earlier you could get this thing going the more flexibility, which was the key word that, you know, remember when, when uh, you were first breaking the news that they were a high, that the big 10 was going to uh, go to a non-conference schedule. And then, uh, and then in their, in their press release later, they used the word and uh, Gene Smith used the word that the flexibility of playing maybe nine or 10 games over a 12 or 13 week window uh, gives you the ability to uh, to move games around and or postpone games, uh, you know. And the thing about it is if you're going to have limited, for example, attendance, you don't have to worry as much about having 30,000, 40,000 people in Ohio Stadium and upsetting their apple cart as you do 105,000. So that makes it more flexible. And then you think about, you know, Northwestern, some of these schools with smaller uh, stadiums, uh, you don't have to worry so much about the crowd getting there and being there if, in fact, you have to be flexible, right? Well, you almost never have to worry about that at Northwestern or Rutgers, so I don't think that uh, will be a big change. I just that was a shot. You didn't need to take that shot, but you took it. Go ahead, shooter. Throw Maryland in there too while you're at it. I was I was about to, but uh, I'm going to give Mike Loxley the week off here. I think, I mean, that's that's sort of my belief, and I, I, it's hard for me, Tim, to imagine that the situation is going to be dr- drastically different from the end of August to the end of September, and I think. If you're going to try and have a season, you need to find out if it's possible as early as you can because you know that there's going to be cancellations, postponements, um, maybe even forfeits or whatever. If the whole point was this, this you know, flex scheduling where you might not even know all the opponents on your schedule, well, if you, don't, if you take three or four weeks off of the table, you're, you've really compressed yourself and you've given away all the flexibility you had. So I don't, I don't see it. You know, this buffer, if you get to late September, um, the situation for playing college football is going to be much easier. The same challenges are going to exist. So I I think that you need to find out what is possible and what isn't possible as early as they can. And, you know, we'll see. There was no indication last week from the Big Ten or anybody that we talked to at Ohio State that they had made, you know, enough progress to put out any kind of schedule at this point. So we don't know what they're thinking. But I I do believe – if Ohio State was headed towards a week zero game, some of these wheels would already be in motion because they would be, you know, nine, ten days away from being able to start a real training camp. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, uh, you can either – the way I'm looking at it right now, you know, Ohio State uh, stopped its uh, workouts at the Williams Athletic Center for, what, a week, wasn't it, or a week and a half? How, how long were they? Yeah. Yeah, it was one week. They got back to it. Uh you know, you would think this dynamic is going to continue, you know, all the way into August. They're, they're, go, they're going to be one or two guys or five guys or whatever uh, test positive for this probably. But until you get a vaccine, as we've said a million times, there's no way to guarantee things aren't going to happen. I don't understand what would be the difference in starting, you know, in essence, you could start camp as well next this week as you could the first or second week of August, you know, I mean, when you think about it from, from the standpoint of the jeopardy you're facing. Uh, and the other thing is if you can, if you could get all the players in a pregame in a preseason uh, hotel, like we talked about before, the reason they, they didn't do that, you know, cause they bandied that idea when they first brought them back. Uh, they were banning the idea of having them all in a, in a place where they could keep them sequestered. Uh, they determined a thing, number one, how feasible that would be, with a bunch of young people, number two, the cost would be outrageous. You know, let's just face it. I mean, you, you, you can't just be stupid throwing money away when there's no – when the, the money you're going to get in the uh, income-wise is going to be limited in the fall. So uh, uh, you already know that going in. So uh, – but the bottom line is if you could, you know, move to that uh, preseason hotel schedule a little bit earlier and stay with it throughout the month of uh, August, I think that will help you uh, in the sense – of maybe keeping things at bay, but you're right. I don't think things are going to be any different the first of August than they are the first of October. You know, that's 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 where I agree with you in the sense you're not going to have you know one or two invasions of the COVID nineteen 
uh, uh, virus into a team, and you, it doesn't matter when that happens, it, it's going to throw things upside down. And, you know, the other part about this that you're going to find out the first week of August, so if, if Ohio State doesn't start training camp until August 7th, so they'd be playing potentially week one, but that's when everyone can start, we are going to begin to find out the impact of, you know, full contact, padded practices, and how this virus reacts to it. There's been a lot of these schools are being have been have had really encouraging results with very few positive tests. Some have had, have maintained zero throughout their return. Um, there 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 are a lot of success stories with this, but those are in the small groups. The you know when we talked about Ohio State going back to the Woody nine players and one strength coach and everybody being social distanced throughout the building. Okay. We're about to get the next step forward. Ohio State, when they started last week on Wednesday, uh, coaches could have eight hours of instruction. They could be around to witness workouts. You saw Ohio State post pictures of what those looked like over the weekend. Yeah, those are still those are still non non contact practices. They're you know they're not out there playing real football uh, with you know eleven guys on offense, eleven on defense, and hitting each other. So you know before even talking about week zero or one and what a game might look like you're about to have real real football practices and then how does it react from there obviously if you have zero taste you know positive tests on your team you should be able to practice completely as normal but there are dozens and dozens of contingencies about the best way to practice to maintain a roster and that's when when teams started talking about that like you need to you need to keep your ones away from your you know your starting offense away from your starting defense you can't go one versus one and you should probably go one versus three and twos versus four so that, you know, everyone is away from each other. Yeah. That- I think a lot of that's posturing, though, because, you know, it's, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, what, what somebody needs to invent is an instant test where you can, like, lick something and it tells you whether you got it or not, yeah. you know. And, uh, and you know, because if, if, if everybody tests negative, if everybody comes test back negative, you know, you're still – what what do you do? You know, and what do you you're you're, you know, it's it's this weird thing. How how can you ever justify playing a game if you're gonna take this precau these precautions in practice, et cetera? How can you ever then justify playing a game? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, and and feel good about it. Now, that's what that's what Gene Smith said a long time ago. He goes, Why would I feel comfortable having guys playing on the field if I can't feel comfortable about having fans in the stands? Because the guys on the field are running into each other every, you know, and he's he's right, you know. Now he's mollified that a little bit because because just clear thinking on this thing tells you that if you take enough precautions, you're probably you're probably going to be okay. But the key word there is probably. Yeah, and to take it even further for the players, how are they going to play games if they aren't able to practice the same way Correct. that they always have? And that's this is a a dangerous, risky game. And I've, you know, we've talked to enough players when they talk about wanting to play a season and signing a waiver, you know, they're not afraid of, of COVID-19 and catching it and having it themselves. And the, most of them are willing to, to take that risk to play if they catch it because they love to play college football, which is inherently a dangerous and risky sport. They love yeah. to play the game. And, and for some of them, you know, Anthony Schlegel said this last week, the, the risk factor, the danger you know, the living on the edge was why he loved football in the first place. So, you know, give him a waiver. He's going to sign that no problem. But if you're talking about still being prepared to play the game and if you have to do a dozen things where if you're not able to, to practice at the level that you're accustomed to, to be ready to play a game that is as physically demanding as football, then there's a separate risk that you're putting on these players, which is the risk of injury and really hurting themselves, which is much worse. Correct probably than what COVID-19 would be for these guys. Yeah. You know, you know what, you know what precautions are being taken. I mean, this is a litigious society we live in. So there's, you, you are, you are, you are obligated to take as many precautions as possible in a situation where you have uh, a COVID-19 virus, which might just give me and you a head cold. Matter of fact, I woke up today and I had hay fever like you wouldn't believe, you know, (laughs) and, uh, as you know, when I came on, you know, I was still dealing with it. Uh, yeah. It's either COVID-19, it was either hay fever or football fever. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't figure out which one. It gives me the same effect. Right. But, uh, but yeah, you, you, you're, you're, 
you know, you're obligated when you're an administrator like uh, Gene Smith and people that are running the big time college football programs to be as careful about this situation as possible because probably nine out of nine out of 10 people it would affect on a football team, they would get just barely symptoms of it. But that one guy you, who you, whose life you, who, you know, whose life is ruined by it because it affects him more, you know, greatly. Uh, that's what you have to be, you know, because yeah, there's one thing about stepping on a football field, knowing at any moment you can pop a knee or have a shoulder get knocked out or uh, crack a rib or, you know, uh, et cetera. But there's a different thing when there's a bug floating in the air that you can catch just willy nilly. That's a total different set of jeopardy. Anyway, hey, uh, let's get to Jordan Hancock real quick. Well, let's spend five minutes on this. I'm counting. I'm timing, timing it right now. The Jordan Hancock flip from Clemson to Ohio State. In your opinion, does this – and I'm talking about the cornerback from North Gwinnett High School in Sewanee, uh, Georgia, which is, is as hotbed uh, a productive area of the country producing big-time college football players – as there is now. You agree with that, right? Uh, absolutely. If you're not okay. involved in, in Georgia recruiting in some form or fashion, uh, you probably got some problems. Justin Fields, ladies and gentlemen, the latest example uh, for Ohio State football of getting someone from that area, Cameron Hayward, Hayward way back when, you know, and uh, he's way back when he's still in the National Football League, but uh, maybe he listens to this and he'll get a chuckle out of that. Huh. But uh, right on down the line, there have been a lot of players that have come from that area of the country have gone all across the country, Alabama, Georgia, uh, uh, Clemson, et cetera, Ohio State are huge in that area in terms of their presence and their recruiting presence. But uh, getting the number six cornerback in the country, according to the 247 Sports Composite, number seven, number 77 overall talent uh, football prospect in the country for 2021. Uh, is this a shot across the bow of Clemson, or is this the shot that should have been in the first place? Uh, uh, <laughs> Boston, uh, I, what's your take? And, and what's your take in uh, 30 seconds? Yeah, well, I defer to Berm in all circumstances when it comes to recruiting. And he indicated leading into March that Jordan Hancock was 100% leaning towards Ohio State before that visit to Clemson. In fact, I think with the last time he had, he had mentioned or been on the Letterman Row for Bermanology, he actually acknowledged that, um, you know, that he grew up wanting to be a Buckeye. So, you know, there are all sorts of you know, as there always are, you know, Clemson and Ohio State bickering back and forth. This is really becoming a great um, non-conference intersectional rivalry. They're one of the few programs that you can say, you know, stands toe-to-toe with each other. Um, mm-hmm. The results, obviously, for the Buckeyes on the field haven't worked out. You can thank the officials for that in Phoenix the last time. But um, I think that this is a – this was a, a major win that Ryan Day needed over Clemson. Um because of some of those on-field results and, and fighting back against that. But it doesn't surprise me because Kerry Combs is really, really good at this. And with that built-in 100% factor for Jordan Hancock in February and, and leading into that visit to Clemson, you know, they just – they knew that that was meaningful and that they shouldn't give up on him. Uh, whatever sales pitch that he got uh, when he visited, it didn't last long enough to outweigh the previous work that Ohio State had done. Okay, that was a minute and 20 seconds. You went over over about 50 seconds. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to hold him. I'm going to start holding him to this. But but he said a lot. He answered like two more questions in that answer. That's that's what I call a complete answer with bonus. Uh, It's efficiency. They've got five, what, five defensive backs in this. Three of them are listed as safeties, depending on where you look and stuff. But the Ja'Kalen Johnson kid, I think, out of St. Louis is a bona fide corner. you know, I thought getting Jordan Hancock reminded me of them getting Marcus Crowley a couple of years ago. They lost a guy from their recruiting class, but they probably ended up with a better guy, right? I'm talking about a running back. Uh, is this the same thing we saw uh, with them losing uh, a defensive back, uh, you know, a few weeks ago and then getting Jordan Hancock? Uh, I think that it's – certainly if you just look at the rankings, it's an upgrade. Yeah. And I think that the other part of that is you have to weigh, does that kid really want to be there? Um, And Jordan Hancock clearly did. This is the second time he's decided that he wants to be at Ohio State, and he could have gone anywhere. So, um, you know, it's funny how sometimes this works out. The last time, you know, that 
you know, people were really paying attention to an Ohio State-Clemson battle was Jackson Carmen. And when Ohio State did lose him, which they did not want to, they fought uh, to the bitter end with that one yeah. before, that, before Dabo, uh, who, who hates negative recruiting, but, but definitely was talking about Urban Meyer's career being over. Yeah. Uh, the last time that happened, okay, Ohio State turned around and got Nicholas Petit-Frere, who was rated one spot higher in the 24-7 rankings. And, you know, you can argue about those if you want, but Ohio State has shown a remarkable knack for if, if somebody gets away from them, even an in-state guy in both of these circumstances, that the national brand then weighs out and they're able to go. It's not hard for them right now. When you were talking about Kerry Combs and his legacy of first-round draft picks, if somebody says no and they don't want that, guess what? They have five cornerbacks who will take that spot. And they might be in Georgia. You know, they might be out in California. They, might, they could be anywhere. But Ohio State is able to get those guys. So in-state kid doesn't work out. Um, that's when you expand, you know, that recruiting net. And it's working out pretty well. Buddy, that, that net's out there all the time. It kind of reminds me of Deadliest Catch. I mean, they got pots set out across the Bering Sea. You know what I mean? Ohio State has pots set out across the continental United States and, you know, really even Hawaii, as we know, you know, Enoch Vimahi. <laughs> but I digress. You know, bottom line is uh, what, what, what a Jordan Hancock news tells me and everyone else, eventually there's going to be college football again. You know, guys are signing up for the 2021 season. I mean, uh, right? I mean, that's the that's the silver lining in this because we know there's going to be a vaccine developed. There's too much competition going on even in that in that area. And number two, man, Ohio State just keeps hitting these home runs in this recruiting class despite all this stuff that's going on, you know, that's uh, kind of clouding the, the, the college football picture. You know what's going to keep us uh, really busy? even if there is a postponement or they can't play this fall. What? All these guys that you're talking about signing, Jordan Hancock's the number one, you know, maybe the most historic signing class in college football history is where they're heading. Well, they're, a lot of them are going to show up in January, and there's going to be a lot of, you know, juniors and seniors currently on Ohio State's roster who, who don't have the opportunity to go to the NFL. So the NCAA, which struggles repeatedly to govern this sport, is going to have to say – you know what? Scholarship limitations are out the window this year. You're going to yeah. go up to 110. And guess who that, guess who that benefits? Yeah. The people who are already the best in the country at recruiting, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, if you give them what you're going to have to, I really, there's no way around it. You're going to have to give them 25 more scholarships. And then we're looking at, I mean, thinking about yeah. transfers and – trying to get a two deep out of those 110 players that are all let me interrupt you let me interrupt you though i mean this idea you know that some people put forth of a spring football season uh and or you know just moving everything uh giving everybody an extra year etc you know like you just touched on let's say they say okay we're not gonna play football till the spring we're gonna have eight eight or nine games you know we're gonna give you your season how many guys like a justin fields and i'm throwing him out there because justin fields Barring an upset, it's probably going to head for the NFL in the 2021 draft. Agreed? Yep. All right. How many of those guys are going to say, sign me up? And how many of those guys are going to say, excuse me, but, you know, it's time to move on? That is as much a, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, a deterrent for playing a spring schedule, I think, as there is. Because I think, I think most of the major stars in college football for the 2020 season uh, would move on. You agree with that? Yeah, and I've, I've kind of been – look, if you're a first-round draft pick like Fields, like Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Sean Wade. Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I, I just – I can't see them taking that risk. You know, some guys need to boost their stock. But even if I'm talking – I can't really make a blanket statement about them because Josh right. Myers and Wyatt Davis could have already been draft picks. And you only get – the window of opportunity to win a Heisman or to win the Remington Trophy, win a national championship that means you're set for life as a hero in Columbus, you only get one shot at that. And Yeah, and let me interrupt. Joey Bosa and Zeke Elliott both both played in the uh, Fiesta Bowl, remember, when they were yeah. both projected. I mean, of course, Joey's Fiesta Bowl didn't last very long. but no, did, uh, did not. But, but no, you're, you're right. Go ahead. So it's, it's hard to say what would motivate all of them because – you know, it, it is a life 
amount, a life-changing amount of money that we're talking about for these first-round draft picks. Um, but if you're Chris Olave and you need one more season to become that, you know, maybe that influences your decision. If you're Josh Myers and you, you dreamed of being a captain and you haven't got that opportunity to lead and, and you're going to be the best center in America, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, there's people – there are people out there who believe none of these top players will play or should play, and I totally understand that. But you can't assume that all 32 guys that are in Mel Kuyper's big board are going to make that same decision because Correct. motivations are all different. Um, I wouldn't advise them to play in a spring season. I think that that's, you know, unnecessary risk. If you are, if the NFL doesn't help them and doesn't move back the draft, which they've given no indication that they are willing to do at this point, then you need to go do the, the professional route. You need to get your 40 time down because that's what matters to them more than your tape if you're Justin Fields. But you know, what, you know what would help the players is if they move the draft up to like early February and then you get drafted and you play – you get allowed. You are allowed to play those eight or nine games for your seat. I mean, but your future is already kind of set. And you know what, Tim? That's another issue that the NCAA has just across the sports that they govern. When I used to cover college baseball, when I was down down in the SEC, these guys got drafted before the NCAA tournament began. They didn't have to yeah. give up their eligibility or choose between being drafted. You know, the best pitcher in America, Luke Hochaver, was on this team that I was that I was covering. He won the, you know, Clemens Award, uh, gets first-round draft pick. He didn't have to just leave Tennessee and skip going to Omaha. They made this run all the way through. So why is this different for football? Why is it – we need dude, – Dude, everybody knows I grew up an Alabama fan. In 1964, Joe Namath uh, led Alabama to the uh, Orange Bowl. They got upset by Texas in that Orange Bowl. But Joe Namath had already been drafted because <laughs> that was when the AFL and the NFL, the American Football League and the National Football League were battling – and they had their drafts before, before the bowl games. You know, right. so what you're, the point is there's precedent already that, yeah, you don't have to – you know, there's no – I mean, this is all about keeping the NFL relevant through uh, February, March, April, May, June, July. I mean, that's what – that's why moving the draft to, like, when they have now is just kind of ridiculous, you know. But you're right. I mean, all, all bodies that are concerned uh, could come together and make this happen like you're talking about. Some, I mean, everybody has – we've said that buzzword a number of times already. You have to maintain the flexibility. College football and, and professional football are both going to change dramatically in the short term. If they want to get back to normal, they're not going to be able to hold the same calendar that they've always worked with. That applies to the draft. That applies to the recruiting calendar. I mean, signing in December right now is probably not realistic if nobody is able to take visits, which I don't think that they'll be able to, even if there is football. You have, to, you have to make concessions. You have to make changes. And if you're not willing to adapt right now, then you're going to die. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. As, uh, as Urban Meyer also said on my podcast uh, many weeks ago, this is, he really sees this uh, year survival of the fittest, you know, and it's becoming more and more obvious that that's going to be the case, you know, if in fact there is a football season. You know, Boston, you folks know him as Austin Ward. Thanks for being on with me again. Uh, hopefully this time a, a, a week from now, we'll know a lot more about uh, the possibility of a college football preseason camp, much less a season. Yep. Uh, although I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, the way things are going, you know, right. Texas is just exploding still, you know, from the um, number of cases and, uh, and then the conspiracy on whether there, in fact, there are, you know, it's, it's crazy out there. How, can you trust the numbers, you know, et cetera, you know, you know, those, you know, that ilk. But uh, you know what? Until until next week, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tim May for Boston Ward. Thanks for joining us on the Tim May podcast.